Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Um, I was kind of, really bad sleep. I have a bad headache today because I didn't get any sleep last night. I, I went through one of those nights. You ever, I went to bed reasonably early at about half past ten. Woke back up again at about 12 o'clock and then couldn't go back to sleep. And I ended up, you know, I call it snagglepussing. That's that's my word for it, by the way. Uh, you know, the worst thing you ever do, my advice to you, is never pick up your phone. But I did. And I'm going through Twitter. And, blah, blah, blah. and I come across you and McKenna, um, who's a writer and journalist, who is kind of, I'm not going to say he's been in hiding, but he's kind of kept his opinions pretty much to himself to some degree. And last night, or so say, I noticed on Twitter that he had put up basically letters, or essentially a diary, I suppose, that he's kind of kept uh, on Twitter. And um, it was very popular. It seemed to be getting a lot of reaction. So I said, that'd be a nice thing to do now, to have a chat with Ewan. And let it all out of his system tonight. So Ewan McKenna joins me on the line. Ewan, good afternoon, or good evening to you. How are you? Good evening, Niall. How are things? You well? Good, good. Getting it all out of your system, certainly on Twitter, that's for sure. I mean, I had a great read of it, and I have to say, it was really well written. Obviously, some of it was written, you know, before the, the end of the year, etc., etc. So, you know, it's kind of time-sensitive as well. But it gives a really good picture of where we started back in March, right up to now, I suppose. And I suppose, let, let's go back to March, right? And you as a journalist and everybody else. I mean... Did you, like me and like everybody else, get those videos of people popping dead in China, lying on the ground and people stepping over their bodies and staying away from them? And Which we know now is not the case. People don't fall dead on the streets. That's not the way COVID works. Did you, did you think at the time to yourself, God, we're in trouble here? With Italy, more so than China, because I guess there's a, a sense of it getting closer and it creeping nearer and suddenly it's here because we've had other illnesses in China that didn't make it out of there um, mm. over the last 15 years. Um, and we've been due a big one. And the sense was, if you looked at the early data, now it was obviously too high, but we took it as it was, that the case mortality rate could have been somewhere between 5 and as high as 7%. Well, that's, what the, w- that that's the what the WHO told us at the time, yes. That's right. Well, yeah. if that was the case, and, and it, it may well have been. Obviously, it was distorted by the fact there was no testing of people that didn't have it yeah. uh, because there was such a rush on the hospitals. And, and I know people in, in, in Bergamo, in, in Lombardy, and, and it was grim. And, and the sense naturally was, if this gets in here, we're in big trouble. Uh, so why not take the risk and lock down? And stop Cheltenham, which Tony Hoolan said was safe because it was outdoors, uh, close up the nursing homes, close off Paddy's weekend. The we Six Nations, Patrick's of course, was out of the time. Six Nations was Yeah, the Paul Patrick's weekend was yeah. packed. The Italian rugby fans came even though there was no game. The nursing homes were routed. So, so those in charge made a mess of it, and at that point, it was in. Now, they got lucky, because if it had turned out to be 5 to 7%, we would have buried an awful lot more people uh, this past year. It didn't turn out to be that because we know the WHO in October, early October, uh, Mike Ryan and and his organisation, they said that their best estimate at that point was that 10% of the world's population had gotten COVID, which amounts to 760 million people. That was on a day that 1.2 million people had died, which is a case mortality rate, still very sad but not 0.157%, a okay. tiny fraction of what was first. Figured. And I know there's, there's, a, there's a, and that's a CDC figure as far as I know, 
I know there's a numerous case uh, where they say mortality or, mort- or fatal or mortality ratios around um, anywhere between you know zero point three to zero point one point five or one point seven or whatever it happens to be. So, well, they're a, going to be high. I'll just say, now. they're yeah. they're definitely going to be high on the basis that most people are asymptomatic, so we're not testing them. Whereas on the other end, we're actually chalking some deaths of that mm-hmm. died with COVID. We say they died of COVID. Well, there is a prediction out there that five times as many people who we claim had COVID nineteen probably had it. Uh, we just don't test everybody. People would have, as you say, be asymptomatic or have no symptoms, which is the first time in history, by the way, we've ever talked about asymptomatic people. Uh, I remember a doctor telling me this a while ago. He's never known in history to talk about a person who is sick but has no symptoms whatsoever. Um, so he said it's the first time in history we've ever used this word asymptomatic so much. But it was kind of midway. You mentioned that it was midway through all that, that you were confused. You got confused. And I got, you got talking to English journalist Peter Hitchens, uh, who's a wonderful man, by the way, and a great speaker. And I suppose when you start talking to him, is that when your mind kind of starts to change and thought to yourself, is this really what they're making it out to be? Well, I was confused by what was happening at home. I mean, in, in summer, I was I was on the beer in Sevilla. It was packed. I was went through Portugal, packed. Uh, I went up to Vigo in Spain, packed. I was in France, packed. Uh, and there was no talk of this. You turn on the news, you do this, that, and the other. And then I talk to people back home in Ireland, and they go, oh, well, we're open too. We're the same as the continent. And this was a time when 330,000 people were being kept out of work. Because there's this idea among the smug and woke liberals in Ireland these days, very sadly, and I'm a man of the left, may I add, um, that they can do without a pint or a holiday or whatever else when they think that the pub is just there for their amusement, the restaurant is just there for their meal, the holiday is just there for their trip, and it doesn't actually employ anyone or put Mm -hmm. a roof over people's head. So Ireland didn't open up over the summer, whereas the rest of Europe... Uh, didn't really have any cases despite being completely open and I couldn't understand this because it was quite clear at that point while a serious one this is a seasonal respiratory illness Well, well, well the, other, the understanding of that is better now because there has been numerous papers out now which seem to be ignored by Neffet and everybody else there's been numerous papers published including one from Stanford there a couple of weeks ago which take into consideration different lockdowns around the world of different severity uh, you know strict lockdowns not so strict lockdowns certain restrictions and they basically said no matter what you seem to do the, the curve, or this curve, as they call it, seems to be the same no matter where you go. Uh, in other words, if you bring in a really strict lockdown with curfews and everything else, as some of them have been military style in some countries, they still have high case numbers at the same time that we have high case numbers if we had none, well, for exactly. example. Exactly. Peru, Peru, for example, has had the strictest lockdowns on Earth. Brazil, which people say was somehow wide open, has had one of the strictest lockdowns on Earth. Australia have worked, Peru and Brazil, it didn't. Ireland, some things worked and didn't. Europe, some things worked and didn't. There are degrees... And and the problem with the lockdown is that while people are quite happy to talk about cases going down, and they do that to a degree, people won't talk about the other side of lockdown and the damage that causes. And the whole time through this, Niall, anyone suggesting, well, hang on, let's balance this. Let's even have a talk about balancing this, um, have been basically, and and very quickly by people. Well, they've been cancelled worse than that, though. The, the, people have suggested these are of the far right. They're murderers. They're fascists. Well, you, will you, will you, I know there are people listening tonight. Uh, a lot of people would be agreeing with you tonight, you and, and I agree with most of what you're going, probably going to say tonight. But there are a lot of people tonight who will, will class you and probably me as extreme right wing. And I'm certainly not by any stretch of the imagination extreme right wing. Well, well I, I'll give my background. I worked for the Labour Party in the early 2000s and quit because they weren't left wing enough for me. My father wears a communist pin. I spent the last few years in Brazil warning against against the ills and dangers of Jair Bolsonaro and the rise of fascism in Brazil. 
Um, I know what I'm talking about. You voted and yes in, in marriage equality. You voted yes for abortion. You I'm for gay refera- I'm for gay equality. I'm for abortion. I'm for all these things. But I'm also for letting people talk. Um, I, I, and, and this is the problem with this kind of trendy left that now exists, that these people wear as a kind of a fashion tag, uh, the sort of people who talk for the poor but never to the poor. Um, they, they like to speak up and say, oh, isn't, isn't it great? Isn't it great to talk? Freedom of speech. Except you're not allowed to speak when it doesn't suit them. And I'll tell you another thing. They've done a very dangerous thing, and they've done it very, very well in this. That the minute you talk about balance, the minute you talk about people losing their livelihoods, the minute you talk about the downside of lockdowns, as well as the upside and a need for balance, uh, these people try and tar you instantly and tarnish your reputation by saying you're the far right so that the message never gets out and no one reads it. And but, but, but you know as well as I do, a lot, a lot of this is virtue signalling by people, you know, who feel they, they need, or, or curtain twitching as is more commonly known nowadays. But I, I want to get back to, I suppose, how this whole thing progressed and how you watched this progress. I mean, RTE and the media, uh, as well as government and NEFIT, played a massive role in this. Uh, and and when I say this, we're still in the middle of it, and we're still doing it now. Do you believe they played? Uh, do you believe that RTE have been in any shape or form balanced in relation to the way they've reported on COVID? Well, if he does care, why doesn't he give some of his four hundred and fifty thousand euros a year to people rather than going on about how tough people had it? We've seen from him more than anyone else this cancel culture. Um, he had one of the the, the very sad victims of cervical cancer on the late late the other week and the minute she tried to criticise the interview 30, or criticise the government 13 seconds later he came on and said well we'll have to interview or end the interview there I listened to Morning Ireland this Well, this, morning. this, this is the fact Ireland. that this is the fact of course that Tony Holham wouldn't apologise uh, and because he hasn't apologised because uh, invariably if he does apologise there's legal ramifications to that and the state don't but, want but to accept not. responsibility talk to people, it, it does not though because the state has apologised and the state has paid out that's the end of it. He's absolutely welcome to apologise. He just won't. Well, they were very upset, of course, the state, because they set up this redress, but many women, rightfully so, went to court and didn't wait for the redress or are not waiting for the redress. And, of course, that's what they're concerned about as well. But in, in relation to the, the, the guests he's had on the Late Late Show, now, of course, Late Late Show last week, there was a conscious effort made to lighten the mood because it seems on social media from the week before and the week before and the week before and the week before that for months, um, it has been constant misery of sadly bringing out people whose relatives or somebody belonged to them had passed away from COVID-19 or telling us how we all should get a vaccine. And it almost became an advertisement for the HSE. Well, it has. I mean, that, 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 that episode where people were being vaccinated was like something from Black Mirror. Um, it, it was quite creepy to see as if uh, a vaccine in a pandemic was suddenly entertainment for to gain more advertising for RTE. Uh, we know they go soft on the government. In fact, the one time they seemed to go hard on the government, as I say, I was listening to Morning Ireland this morning, Michal Martin was in, and the question he was asked basically was that he didn't have the spine to stand up to people and close down for Christmas. He didn't have the spine to stand up to people and close down last summer. Will he have the spine to do it this summer? Um, so, so the one time they go after the government, it's actually to get stricter. So in other words, in other, in other words and I, I watched Miriam O'Callaghan do that. Mind you, it's quite ironic that Miriam O'Callaghan would do it uh, when, of course, she was pictured with many other members of RTE not giving a damn about the restrictions themselves. But in relation to RTE, and not just RTE, the celebrities that we have, I suppose, 
there are many people who have become celebrities out of COVID-19, particularly scientists who have been used repeatedly on RTE, be it on Primetime, on Claire Byrne or The Late Late Show. I mean, you go to a list of them, and obviously I want to be careful what we say about the individuals, but these individuals have become a little bit of celebrities. You've got Luke O'Neill, Sam McConkie, Thomas Ryan, Anthony Staines, um, Gabriel Scali. These individuals have all become celebrities, be it on RTE or News Talk, for that matter, on a daily basis. Do you believe they're ever challenged or do you think they're just going unchallenged? They're unchallenged because people feel, well, they know this area and we don't, except the problem is this isn't a conversation solely about virology. Uh, we need to strike a balance between health, between the economy and between society. And while they might know the health aspect of this, much like Neffet, they don't have any care for those other two elements and there's no sense of balance. Um, and they don't seem to understand the effects of, of one side of kind of loading up one side of the seesaw lifts the other end and, and vice versa. But, so but, is they, but people would argue, Ewan, is, is that their job? I mean, that's not, it's not their fault, I suppose, in some sense, that RTE or, you know, Caribbean or Primetime or whoever it is trusts their information and doesn't challenge them. They're just getting a free ride and that's their speciality. They're, it's not their job to think about, you know, you and Lou are using his job or Niall losing his job. That's not their problem. Their problem is to talk about the actual facts because that's what they studied. Well, 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 well the thing you see is health is, is, is multifaceted. I mean, it, OK, they're, they're the doctors, they're the experts. They say we're trying to keep people well. Well, keeping people well, there are, well, in November, it's risen considerably since then because of their calls for lockdowns or whatever else. There have been 2,000 missed cancers in November. That's a lot higher now. Mm-hmm. There's massive amounts of suicide and depression going around the place, and that's going to get worse. We have destroyed the economy from a 4 billion surplus to, I think, a 36 billion deficit so far. We're about to be bankrupt, and we're going to end up with a decade of health cuts. Um, so all those things. But but if you want to talk now solely about, OK, they're only there to talk about COVID. I mean, l- let me let me read you a couple of quotes just very quickly. And, and these are just what they said. I won't get into it any further because it won't get you in trouble. Uh, Luke O'Neill, February 28, 2020, on the Late Late Show, he was asked by Ryan Tuberty, are face masks worth a damn? And he replied, they are if you're infected. If you are not infected, that there's no reason to wear a face mask. Two reasons, people fidget. And the second reason is that it goes in through the eyes as well. So there is no evidence that wearing a face mask will protect you at all. And he did, he did go on to say, when pushed on that by Ryan Tuberty, he did go on to say that anybody who wants to wear a face mask now is watching too many horror movies. He did. Yeah. By September 20th on Pat Kenny's show on News Talk, he said, we know masks work. The scientific evidence is so compelling. Anyone who denies masks, show me the evidence against it because the evidence on the other side is so strong. Now, I'm for wearing masks, by the way. Mm-hmm. I've been wearing one in Portugal since the time that Neffet were saying make no difference as well. But science doesn't change like that. Um, we know masks because we've endless data on masks from the most populous continent, Asia, going back 30, 40 years where people do it constantly in places like Hong Kong, China, Japan, Singapore. So the data was there. So I don't know how you, you flip flop like that um, and, okay. and you're not pulled up on it. And I mean, if you, if you want to talk Sam McConkey, I mean, this, this is a man who said 120,000 people would die in, in Ireland with COVID. And he compared it to the civil war, I think, at one stage. He compared he the did. amount of people he that would doubt. said there was one in a million chance of contracting COVID in Ireland, which would have suggested five people would have got it. In September, he said Dublin would have 5,000 cases alone. But then th- this is a guy who previously warned of an Ebola outbreak in Ireland and said there'd be one million cases of swine flu. Um, and you know what sparked me to, to write that article? I, I was listening to Matt Cooper's The Last Word on Tuesday. And 
That's your fault. I always through this, I, I, I tried to take the approach of George Carlin of kind of getting off the stage and sitting in the front row and watching the world go by. And I heard McConkie on and he went unchallenged and he was asked, how many years do you think we'll need restrictions and lockdowns? And he said three to five years. And I was so livid hearing that because this year, more than anything, I've noticed how people are struggling back but, home. But, but don't, actually, but, and the, 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 point, the point is here, Ewan, that I think media have a huge responsibility. And when Sam McConkie or Luke O'Neill or uh, Thomas Ryan or any of these cable scally turn around and make a comment like, oh, we're going to have this for the next five or ten years or three or four years or whatever it happens to be, we seem to forget there are people listening. People who may not have the wherewithal that you have and the, for, you know, the foresight that you might have or people who are not in touch with the news, maybe like I am and you are as well. And they believe that hook, line and sinker, particularly if it goes yep. unchallenged. And all of yep, a sudden their life, that lies they've seen at the end of the tunnel maybe, suddenly goes out. And, and I think 100%. it's, and I think it's, I think that's very worrying that that goes completely unchallenged. And I watched it again, actually, Thomas Ryan last night on the Tonight Show on uh, TV3 or Virgin Media One, should I say, probably the most worst wee round I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, uh, I watched it again, completely again. I felt he was unchallenged again. And the, more or less the same comments you're talking about now. Uh, this is, of course, the zero COVID, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, now, the last time I suppose you wrote for a newspaper, <laughs> you were told. You were basically told, and I just want to keep the newspaper's name out of it for the moment. You were basically told that this is not what we want. We don't want you writing that side of the argument, that side of the debate. You know, that, and more or less that you were kind of accused of being right wing, I suppose. And they didn't want they didn't want extremists and far right covered in the newspaper. Uh, do you think that's yeah. still the way? Do you think now that journalists around the country, like you, working for all the big newspapers, the Times, the Independent, the Mirror, the Sun, the Star, whatever it happens to be, uh, do you believe that, or the Examiner, don't want to miss anything out there, do you believe there are people who are afraid to write their actual thoughts down because the editors will not allow it to go out or it won't sit well with uh, the government and they may not get their, their funding? I, I know that's the case because after writing that article, for example, I had five separate journalists and national newspapers on to me today saying, well done, they wish they could have written it, but they can't. Uh, not that they even tried, but that they'd get in big trouble. I also know why, because I had screenshots from one of my former employers from a group uh, sent around with my article in it, uh, abusing and mimicking me. Um, and this is the modern Irish media that says, trust us. This is the modern Irish media that says, we know what's best for you. Um, and the problem is, the modern Irish media to a long part, and we've seen this in COVID, and it's quite disturbing, is that they're out of touch with reality. Um, but now, why, but why, do you think, why do you think they're afraid, apart from their, having their own editors, which are human beings? Now, I do understand, for example, like independent radio at the moment, which we are, uh, we're not paid for by the licence fee, so we're financially struggling, like every independent radio station in this country, because we've lost all, most of our advertising. 80% of our advertising is gone, closed down. Holiday companies, uh, Ticketmaster, all the big uh, companies that would normally advertise with us, you know, hotel breaks, they're all gone. So we've no, literally very little advertising. So all we have are the ads, I suppose, from the HSE, which obviously pay the wages. Uh, and we also have government subsidies as well, you know, for staff and everything else like every other company. Uh, and essentially, so what's happening is now the government are funding uh, the media, because I'm assuming that newspapers are in probably the same situation. So do you think that's a dangerous place to be where you have a government funding uh, radio stations, funding the media and funding basically the information that we're being given every day? Well, some of the papers I know, because uh, I've seen the figures, advertise, well, sales have gone up and advertising have gone slightly up on the basis of that, the major titles, um, because fear sells, people have nothing else to do. <laughs> and, mm. and they're glued to this because it, it's like a horror movie. Um, 
So they don't want to let go of that. Um, the other part is, I mean, a, a, a media is supposed to, I suppose I always say, kind of uh, um, kind of go after the, the elites in society. Um, it's supposed to question absolutely everything. It's supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. What we have in Ireland, and it's become quite clear in this, is um, we have the glue that holds the establishment together in our media. We have pandering to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, um, very much so. I know Leo Varadkar, I know Edna Kenny before him got tours of a newspaper office and were kind of, law editors were running to meet them and shake their hand. Well, it was quite uh, shocking know, last, last week, I know I know the journalists were giving out last week, that they were asked at the press conference to produce a list of questions they wanted to ask. And it was very reminiscent of the Catholic Church many, many years ago, where the bishops would walk in and stop the front page. And that's what I kind of think. And I, and I, I did compare COVID-19 to the Catholic Church, and I said how easy it was for the Catholic Church to gain power over a population by telling the population, if you don't live the way we live, or the way we tell you to live, uh, you're not going to see holy God and you'll go to hell. Whereas now you have a government, and we know the mistakes of the past with the Catholic Church, now we have a government saying if you don't live the way we tell you to live, you're going to kill your granny. And, and, and there does yeah, seem to be that, yeah. that sense of control over people. It is. Uh, it's a sense of fear. I mean, I suppose when you look at the church, what did they used to say? The stupid brother would go to the seminary and the clever brother would go and become a doctor. And now we've the doctors running things, <laughs> which mm-hmm. makes it that little bit worse. And it, it, it's divide and conquer as well. I mean, I, I look at this, the, the, the debates now, and I kind of, oh, but we have to close the airports. And some people will say, well, it's not bringing anything in. And there's a debate over that. And some will say, oh, the variants and people get scared by that. And some will go zero COVID and we'll debate that. And it's all deflection because, I mean, there was, what, 1,200 people, 296 people vaccinated on Monday. Why? Why aren't they doing their job? They've had more, So it's look over there, look over there, look over there, blame each other. But by Jesus, don't look at the job we're doing. And, 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 I, and I think you're 100% right. I mean, we have been failing misery. For those who want to get vaccinated, we've been failing miserably to f- vaccinate people. The British are running away with themselves. There are 10% of the world's vaccinations have been used in Britain so far. America are running away with themselves. Uh, all the, 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 the normal countries that do well are running away. We're, we have a small little country here. There's not much to do, really. And we have failed miserably. The numbers haven't really increased in the last week. We're not back vaccinating enough people uh, quickly enough. Uh, we're literally just doing it by the HSE. At one stage, the HSE, HSE said they were only vaccinating nine to five Monday to Friday. Um, so that's how bad it comes in this country. And, and yet we expect people to have faith in the state. And then you had Stephen Donnelly tell, telling the world yesterday that Ireland is doing well when it comes to vaccinations in Europe. He was obviously using percentage of population, which wouldn't be difficult because we only got five million people in the country. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we are kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes. Meanwhile, as you rightly said, we're deflecting by shouting at each other because Mary and Johnny went to Lanzarote. So what? Well, and, and, and exactly. So what? Joe Duffy has people on, and this is a disgrace. And RTE missed the irony of sending their staff in what they deem essential travel to the airport to shame people for what they think is non-essential travel. But, and the one commonality all these groups were talking about tonight, whether it's celebrity doctors, whether it's big-name journalists and media, whether it's the government or whether it's Neffet, None of them have lost one cent during this. All of them have gained many cents during this. Um, so I'm not suggesting it's a conspiracy to keep it going. I think it's more opportunism and idiocy. Well, vested interest, I suppose, is that probably a better word than well, conspiracy, huge, isn't well, it? Well, they've got the, the, what, TDs have gotten a, a different TDs, not all, but have gotten three very different pay rises at this stage when other countries in Europe are taking pay cuts. 
Um, so do you think they're disconnected? Example, do, you th- do you think, sorry for, for cutting across you, but do you think Leo Varadkar, Stephen Donnelly, Simon Harris, uh, Bihal Martin, do you think they're disconnected from the people, genuinely disconnected, whereby they run down, you know, the stairs in the morning, getting out of bed. Uh, they never have to worry, am I going to have 20 quid for diesel in my pocket? Because they're, as you said, their finances haven't changed. If anything at all, they're probably doing better because they're getting around more. They're probably using up more expenses anyway. And they have no consideration or understanding for the guy who worked in the pub who hasn't been and work practically all year or for the guy who is in a band who played at weddings who hasn't worked all year or for the man who's a manager of a nightclub who hasn't worked all year do they have any understanding of that at all because and the reason I'm thinking because is because they have the public sector who are all around them who haven't been affected financially I, I class them as two groups I think there are honest decent TDs in, in, on the government side of benches who are probably just a little bit thick and who are intimidated when fronted up by a group of scientists and they don't know what to say to them, so they just do what they're told. Um, and I think then the, 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 the government TDs, the, the, the ministers who have intelligence, um, I think there's a nastiness about them, and I think they see the populace like, like shit on their shoe, and, and they always have long before COVID, and, and they always will. And the fact there are those two groups, who votes them in? Uh, a populace that thinks very similar people who don't know how bad people have it and people who don't care how bad people have it and again that was Do the they care? Do you COVID. think you and do you think they care? Do you think Leo and you know Michal and oh, no, Stephen I, I, I do you think that, do you, do you think they care one. about some lad and his wife who haven't got the money for the mortgage every month now because they've lost their jobs and they're on a covid payment and that's 500 500,000 people in this country do you think they care about them? Do you don't think Leo, I mean, I, I know I know Leo tends to speak out of both sides of his mouth. And we've heard that before Christmas, he talked about he made the comment on primetime and he kind of let it slip. There was almost a, a human side to him that he let slip. And he said, well, you know, if, if Neffet were on a PUP payment, I don't think they'd be making these decisions. And more or less, that's what he said. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then all of a sudden, within three days, he had kind of turned on his heels again. And he was back behind Michal, supporting everything he was doing and supporting Neffet again. So do you think there's a human side to them in there sort of gagging to get out and do something, but they feel they have to toe the, pol- the political line. No, I think Leo has always followed what the polls say would be best for Leo, and that's long before COVID, because people may never remember the old Leo who was against gay marriage. He was against gay adoption. Uh, and then when the polls suggested there was a push for equality, Leo was leading the march down Dame Street. So you think he's a populist politician? Oh, 100%. Okay. He will do whatever. And what about Michal? What about Michal Martin? Was, was he ever good enough to be Taoiseach of the country? This was his last shot at possibly being Taoiseach anyway. Was he ever good well, enough? You don't, have to be very, you don't have to be very good to be Taoiseach of Ireland. But this is true. <laughs> but by the standards we set ourselves, he's probably good enough. But by the standards I'd like to see set, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, people have very short memories. This is the guy who stood by Bertie. Uh when there was no bank account found. This is the guy who stood by his party when they collapsed the country and sent a generation to Australia. And this is the guy now standing by as we ruined two more generations uh, and the country for the next five years. So, so no, I, I don't know if it's a badness with Hall. I think it might be more a bit thick, whereas Leo, it's very premeditated and nasty. Okay, all right, so you don't like them, that's clear. All right, okay, in relation to, say, part of your article, you said here, the sort, uh, sadly the debate was never allowed, shouted down by the smugness of the modern liberal, the sort who campaigned for equal rights for homosexuals but now thinks those out of work should not be allowed to return as they sit at home on full pay, the sort that demand others take a vaccine but are all about my body, my choice when it comes to abortion, the sort that think the elderly and sick person dying with COVID was because of COVID, but the same uh, vaccine killing an elderly and sick 
sick person was because uh, they were sick. The sort that think uh, they can go without a holiday or a meal and that's the end of it as if these industries don't keep people fed and housed are just there for their pleasure. In other words, you mentioned that already. In other words, that aren't actually earning a crust. Let me, so th- we've talked about the politicians. So now the people, the people themselves turning against each other, the curtain twitchers, the ones who are willing to rat on each other or tell on each other if they're outside the 5K rule or if they're, or if they're doing something wrong or if they know that Johnny and Mary next door has gone on holidays. Do, do you think that people have lost the run themselves? I mean, normally intelligent people, do you think they've lost the run themselves? Uh, <laughs> well, I always would have said that most people are pretty thick and in hindsight, I gave them too much credit. Um, there's a very old saying going back a couple of hundred years that you put an Irishman on a spit and you'll always find another Irishman to baste him. Um, and that's very true in this. We have always looked out for ourselves and what's best for us at any cost to society, no matter what mealy-mouthed rubbish comes out of our mouths. And we've seen that. We're a, we're a country of backhanders. We're a country of who you know. You're a country of we get the local lad to fix the potholes. Um, so it's always been about us first, except sadly that doesn't work so well in a pandemic. Um, So I I think it's just people's true colours magnified hugely um, and they're putting it behind the veil of caring. Uh, They're putting it behind the veil of some greater good that if you've lost your job or if you've cancer or if you're feeling very depressed, by God, you better not say it because someone else who considers themselves woke and liberal in the future, is sitting at home on full pay thinking this is great. Of course, what they don't realise is, and it'll be the sting in the tail for them, is that once this ends, and that could be 2022 summer by the look of it, uh, there's going to be about 10 years where they're some of the few employed in Ireland. There's going to be massive cutbacks and their tax rates are going to go through the roof. And just whether I know I read out what you what you read there. I don't want to take it out of context. You are, for the record, um, obviously in favour of gay rights and abortion and so on and so on. So before anybody there thinks uh, you know you're going. hundred percent, hundred percent, and uh, it's sad we have to say that because that's what they'll go after. Yeah, and and you know you're always going to get the argument for people you know who who disagree with you and say, oh, you and why don't you go talk to a doctor and nurse on the front line? They're the ones watching people die every day of COVID-19. Or why don't you talk to the victims' families? You wouldn't be talking like that if it was your mother or father that died of COVID-19. What do you say to those people? And that's the argument, the emotional argument that's used all the time, isn't it? If you say anything at all uh, that, that suggests you would think the thing is overrated. Uh, well, well. I, uh, firstly, two things. I, I think doctors and nurses on the front line have done an incredible job, and I think nurses should be rewarded hugely, not just student nurses, but I think I, I think nurses, I know in Ghana at the start of this, they said they wouldn't have to pay tax. Uh, I feel very sorry for anyone who's lost anyone to COVID or anything, for, for that matter. But to be cold about it, and you have to be cold and analytical when you're talking about locking down a populace for an, a year and possibly another year, um, People who have lost people through COVID don't have a patent on mortality. People have died of other things because of this, and they deserve to be heard as well. Uh, people on the front line don't have a patent on hard work. Um, when there was that risk of a 7%, 7% mortality rate back in April and people were terrified, it was those on €10 Euros or €11 Euros an hour in supermarkets who actually held society together and no one seems to want to hear for them or talk about pay rises for them. In fact, we refuted a minimum wage increase and a livable wage increase for them. So these people, while I admire what they do and I feel sorry for those who've lost anyone, other people have lost people as well and deserve to be heard. And uh, have, we, have, we lost, have we lost the ability to talk about mortality? Do you think we've lost, we're almost, we want everybody to be immortal in some sense. Have we lost the ability to be able to accept that people die over the age of 
of 82, which is the average age for mortality in this country. Have we lost that ability to talk about that? Three weeks ago, I think it was, the median age of COVID-19 was 87, uh, which is five years or higher than the average mortality rate in this country. So we seem to have somehow, maybe you disagree, we lost the ability to accept that people just die. Yeah, I mean, it's as if mortality was invented this year. I mean, I, I often think about mortality. I often think about getting old. I often think about actually being in a hospital like I've seen my grandparents and an uncle die uh, and, and what that moment will be like. And, and that is part of life. It always will be. There's nothing you can do about that. And if you can't handle that, maybe you should lock yourself in your house. But don't tell me to. Um, and, and you mentioned the median age. It's interesting. They give a median age, which, as you say, was 87 at one point. At one point, three weeks average. Yeah. Yeah, but we, indeed, but that would suggest the average age is higher than that because the median age is just the most of one age, uh, which will mean the average age is likely two or three years older than that. Um, so we're now locking down society because ninety-year-old people are, are dying. There will always be exceptions to the rule. And, and by the way, I, I do, I, yeah, I do want to say, I don't want to cut across you, but I do want to be obvi- very obviously there are people listening who may have lost loved ones, and many of those, by the way, in care homes and nursing homes. And, and I do believe that we should do everything possible to ensure that we don't speed up people's de- uh, deaths and demise. Uh, and certainly we should Absolutely. have done more. I mean, I don't know why we didn't bring in antigen testing for staff of nursing homes going back, you know, eight months ago. I, I have no idea why they still haven't done it yet. I, I'm, I'm assuming there must be some logical reason for it. But then again, there's no logical reason for a lot of things that we're doing at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And we could, I'm not suggesting, by the way, like 329 people died in January in nursing homes. I'm not suggesting we could have saved all 329 lives if COVID didn't get into those nursing homes homes because sadly many of those people probably would have passed away anyway but we certainly could have we may have elongated one or two of those lives or saved one or two of those lives as well um in relation to where we're going to go from here i mean you you seem to have a good grasp of what's going on but i mean do you see this continuing on i mean leo varadkar has hinted you know no more holidays this year and by the way it looks like christmas you won't be seeing your relatives again that kind of carry on in other words we're going to go through mm-hmm. another year of this it'll be next january february and even then we don't know because we were promised last july by january or february we'd be all grand again so i mean where do you see this going do you believe in all well, the you're, you're you know the stuff you're hearing online with great resets and all that do you believe in all that stuff no, I think it's it's absolutely nonsense. And in, in fact, it undermines arguments I try and make. I, I hate when the far right and conspiracy theorists do jump in on what I say because it gives those, gives other people a chance to say he's one of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a blunder is what it is. But we are being set up very much by and teed up and prepared for um, another year and a half of this. Uh, Sam McConkie, as I say, is talking about three to five years. Leo Varadkar has said that if we closed the airports until November, you couldn't open them because it was winter, whatever that means. Colin Henry of the HSE has said restrictions will go on well into 2022. Tony Houlihan, and this, this is how mad it is, on, on February the 1st, with numbers falling, he took foreign summer holidays off the table and then also hinted at huge domestic travel restrictions in summer when he said you won't be going to a beach here unless you live right beside one. Um, Michal Martin has said, obviously, there won't be a March reopening. We know that that'll be April, then it'll be May. Catherine Martin has said, concert, sport, the arts, you can forget about them there at the back end of it. Yeah. So, so you're absolutely being set up for it. Um, and, and the lunatics are running the asylum. And, and there's a very easy way out of this now. And, and, and this is the problem. People okay, well then, okay well then, let me, let me give you a solution because people are going to, people listening will say, well, you know, you, and you seem to have all the answers. You seem to be able to say everything that's wrong. So what is the answer as far as you're concerned? Uh, I said a number of weeks ago, because the EU have made a mess of this, uh, that like Poland, the Czech Republic and Hungary, we should be looking at buying private supplies such as the Sputnik vaccine and testing that. 
um, from Russia. That's being done and the EU will pass it, will be at the end because the French are going to buy loads of that. Then with the vaccines you do have from now until May, you shoot them into the most vulnerable, the most elderly and the sick. At that point, because it's a seasonal respiratory illness and we know numbers will drop across the summer. And we also uh, know that those under 65 are at very little risk. We, we know that as well. Yeah. So there's no chance of a run on the hospitals at that point and the worst off are protected. Will there be some people might get it and die? Yeah, they might. <laughs> but you open up fully for the summer while vaccinating a critical mass, which means by September you have about 75 to 80% of the population done, which means you can get back to normal. Uh, and in the meantime, from now until then, I've often said... Uh, this has all been stick and no carrot, uh, for want of a better phrase. There needs to be a carrot. Uh, until then, while the worst off are getting or the most vulnerable are getting vaccinated, counties should be set targets. And if they hit A, B or C, they should be allowed open like D, E or F. And if they keep those numbers, they can. So there's a balance then between society, economics and medicine. Okay, and, and, and I've more or less said, very similar to what you're saying, but obviously slightly different, different kind of method, but I've, I've more or less indicated what you said. By the way, I listened to a very good doctor the other day on the radio uh, in the UK, UK Talk Radio, actually, which do some very good interviews uh, by Times, and uh, he was talking about this idea of suppressing a virus and the zero COVID nonsense that's going around at the moment, and he said, if we stop say, the 65-year-olds or the under-65-year-olds uh, from getting the virus, um, you know, and we, we don't allow them to get it. He says, what ha- what will happen is, he said, most likely the virus will hang around for 10, 20 years, uh, probably longer. And he said, they will eventually become 80 or 90 and they then will become the mm-hmm. targets of the virus. So he said, it is better to allow them to get it or indeed if they don't get vaccinations, it's better to allow that herd immunity amongst the younger people, certainly not amongst the older who are more vulnerable uh, to the virus. But those younger people, when I say younger, under the age of 70, 65, who will become 80 in the next 10 years and they will be then vulnerable to it if they don't get it. Uh, but I suppose the point is, if and this is always my question when I listen to and I listen to you and I listen to conspiracy theorists and I listen to those people the, the virtue signalers and I listen to everybody and there is this kind of sense that there's some sort of plan here um, when I say plan that the government are in control at the moment of this country and yet they're making massive mistakes as far as a lot of people can see and um, people accuse PCR testing of being inaccurate and uh, the government know this they're using words like died from or with COVID in the last 28 days and uh, people believe the figures are manipulated uh, to make it look more effective I suppose on RT News at 6 o'clock and if that was the case and I'm having to believe what everybody keeps saying to me I'm thinking I, and the one question I keep asking everybody is what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose? Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of scaring the living daylights out of everybody over a virus that has a really low mortality rate in the big scheme of things? What's the purpose of scaring everybody? And I, laws I and guards stopping people on streets and all this kind of stuff, you know, their cars and fining people two grand for going to an airport. What's the purpose of it all? I think the government are doing what they consider best for their own futures because right now it would be political suicide to go against Neffet because of a brainwashed populace who believe Dr. Tony is God and this thing will kill you if you step outside the door. We saw before Christmas when Leo, who could do no wrong up to that point, no matter all the wrongs he did, uh, he dared go against Tony Houlihan briefly and said we need to consider other factors, such as the economy, and he got absolutely hammered in the polls. So there's no upside for the government to go against Neffet because if they do and things got bad... They will be hammered in the next election. They'll lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if they go with Neffet and it causes catastrophe in other areas, they can say, well, we listened to Neffet. That's what you wanted. 
Well, well, look, by the way, I've lots of texts coming in here, by the way, people congratulating you and being very honest. Uh, a couple of WhatsApp messages here. Have a listen to this. I know it's a breath of fresh air listening to you. And, you know, I'd consider myself pretty liberal, slightly left wing myself. But, you know, um, it seems like the left in Ireland have completely abandoned the working class. You know, where are the working class going to be in a year or two when um, they can't afford a mortgage and the jobs that they worked aren't going to come back? You know, where are people before profit going to be on that? You know, are, are they going to still pursue their zero COVID policy? You know, which could see us on extreme lockdowns for half a year. Um, yeah, it's just it's just refreshing to hear someone who say, I'm from the left and I'm against uh, extreme lockdowns. So, breath of fresh air. Thanks, Noel. Thanks for having these guests on. Ewan was brilliant. There you go, you. Hey, she's throwing bouquets. The, the check is in the poll. <laughs> he's your best friend. <laughs> Somebody says, you is the kind of guy who knows what he's talking about and is in tune with reality. Well done, lad. The only broadcaster who actually speaks out the facts and has these people on, uh, says Joe. Another person says, fair play to you. And uh, I think he's wonderful. What's his Twitter handle? I need to follow him. <laughs> and I'll give that out. In a no, second. you don't. You don't. There's been some late weekends recently. <laughs> do, by the way, when you, when you put this stuff up on Twitter and, and people can download the document on Twitter, if you go onto a Twitter account, you have it pinned to the top of your, your Twitter account. Everything more or less that we've talked about tonight, you have pinned in a document. I mean, have you received any abuse? <laughs> oh, have I? I've always received abuse. I take it as a badge of honour. Much of it from within journalism because uh, I, I always thought and a lot of journalists see it this way that you know, you're supposed to write so that other journalists get on with you. I couldn't care less what other journalists think. In fact, I couldn't care less what most people think. Uh, I'm honest. I try and look out for the person that's worst off and try to give them a voice. Um, and that's why I got into journalism. And if, if that brings about abuse, well, water off a duck's back. And are you, so you're not concerned personally about the cancel culture and the damage to your career? Because I know a lot of people in media, in radio, are very concerned about cancel culture. And we've seen examples of that over the last few years, not just with COVID. Uh, you know, other people who've been cancelled from radio for saying things that didn't please the virtue signaling population. Well, well, two things. I mean, if, if I'm cancelled, it's other people's loss, in my mind. And secondly, I remember I was doing a book on Conor McGregor a couple of years ago to shamelessly drop it in there. But uh, I got talking to a guy at a bar in Vegas, an American guy, before it, and he said, do you ever look at a headstone? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you ever look at the two, the two dates, the, the, the birth and death dates? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you ever look at the dash in between it? And I said, not really, no. And he said, you should, and you should ask yourself, what are you going to do with your dash? I always like that. Uh, it's yeah. not really about money. It's not about anything else. It's about, it's about you what know, you achieved while you were here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's about what what difference you made while you were here. Well, listen, you and you are making a difference, and I appreciate you coming on the air tonight. Listen, thank you very much indeed. All right, there you go. That's Stay well, it. all. Thank you. You and McKenna, uh, writer and journalist. <laughs> real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan show. Classic hit.